It's been a year. Have we forgotten? Has the government forgotten? What did they say a year ago? And what has changed when it comes to Afghanistan? And getting the people who helped Canada that we made promises to, getting them out, getting them to safety. What a scramble it was. It all came back to me as we look at this anniversary. And there's been so many other things since. But this one was personal, wasn't it? It made us think, are we who we think we are as Canadians? And if not, who are we? And what will we demand? It wasn't the Canadian way. You know, one year ago, as we watched the Taliban take control of Afghanistan, we saw it wasn't just Canada, because we saw all these other governments. What were they doing? How could they get their people out? Those who we made the promises to. And I remember all the documentaries since it all began in Afghanistan. And we would see women and girls and the change in life, and it made us feel good And we also saw the relationship between the people of Afghanistan and those who worked for Canadians and and those who were interpreters. And and there was such a close connection. And some of the diplomats and the reporters who worked with them tried their best to get them out. They were tethered to telephones, tethered to anything to try to make this happen because they knew their life was in danger. It's been a year. Betrayal fear, and pain, we haven't done that well. Joining us is Chris Eklund, founder of Canadian Heroes and Fight for Ukraine. Chris, good evening. Good evening. Thanks for having me again. Chris, it's maddening. It's amazing when we look back a year, and I think of the explanations. You know, I there's a, a clip of the prime minister a year ago saying, It isn't the red tape. They can't make it to the airport because of the situations there. It was one thing after another. And here we are a year, Chris, and we haven't done it. How come? Well, as I was chatting with your producer beforehand, it's uh, a very, very sad day again for Canada. Because as you said, you know, here we are one year and I'm talking with some of our guys from Afghanistan, and, you know, it's very, very emotional. They remember this day like it was yesterday. But in your lead-up, you know, you, you made a great statement as, who are we as a people and as a country? And sadly, the answer is basically answered for all Canadians within the last year. I hate to use strong language, but strong language needs to be done. We are ethically and morally bankrupt as a country. We can no longer go on the world stage and pound ourselves on the chest and say, we are the best country in the world. We have the best human rights record in the world. That's clear and utter BS. And the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Tonight on the news, everybody's talking about this. And remember that this was before Ukraine was even on our radar, mm-hmm. way before on our radar. And one news anchor said, you know, in over one year, we've bought, what, 10,000, 15,000 from Afghanistan? The people that we had an ethical and moral duty 
as a country because of what these people did for us, for our troops, to help them out, to keep them alive. We had a duty and still do. So enter Ukraine, which, as you said, I have a major operation going on there, too. And the other anchor said, you know, in like two, three months, we've brought, what, 75,000 over? Like, how do you explain that? And the sad thing is, we can't. But I, I think what we've showed to all Canadians and to the world, that there is a pecking order, sadly enough, and we assign values differently to people from different parts of uh, of our planet. And, all right, Chris, and, uh, I want know, to ask you something. That's a complete different conversation, but uh, here we are a year later. All right, Chris, let me ask you a tough question, very tough question. Uh-huh. But, but I'm going to ask you, who picks the order? Are, are Canadians' impressions? Are voting habits? I mean, does this come from Canadians? Who picks this? Who tells us the order of who gets here? Well, I'll back up to last century when I had a major another operation going on with the Albanians from Kosovo. And if you're of my vintage, you will remember that. So one of my families, um, one of the younger kids said, you know, Chris, I'm out at all these uh, meetings, and there's people from Rwanda, Nigeria, here and there, and they've been here a lot longer than us, a lot longer. But we have way more than what they do, better program on and on. She goes, like, what's going on? How do you explain that? And you want to talk about being in an uncomfortable situation as a Canadian to try to explain this. But I didn't have to because she figured it out for her own. And, you know, that was to me the first personal thing I ever had that I was involved with. That it's like, yeah, what is going on here? So, but again, Kosovo was a worldwide thing that was on the worldwide stage, like Ukraine, like Afghanistan, and yep, there seemed to be a pecking order there. So who who does this? Well, there's only one, one entity, and that would be our, our federal government. Is it, Chris, because governments do, and I, I'm willing to assign that, I get it, you know, listening to the clips and the explanations a year ago and realizing that just wasn't so, it didn't work out, it's infuriating and it's heartbreaking. But to Canadians, if governments do what they think they need to do, or, they, or people are heading out in the streets, or are they angry, or they will change their impression, are we a little bit in this here? You know what? It's it's that very uncomfortable conversation that we've got to open the closet and we've got to have that conversation openly. And, you know, as one reporter said to me way before Ukraine, as you said in your lead-in, so this reporter is very, very heavily involved. We all know him. All Canadians know him. He said, you know why, Chris? It's the color of their skin. He said, if they were white, we wouldn't be having this conversation. 
And what do you think, Chris? What did you think when he said Well, and then months later, enter Ukraine, and there is your answer. And, you know, you don't have to really answer it because it was answered for us. But with Afghanistan, there's still a lot of very, very ugly things out of that where, you know, for me, I was personally promised by a person directly out of the the Minister of National Defense's office. I had a go-between within the military, very, very high-ranking officer. Mm-hmm. And there was two to four meetings a day, I was told, with the minister directly. But again, the minister could not talk to me personally. Simply, be, And I understand that, and I fully realize that, because, you know, you can't have a philanthropist going out no. doing all it, this kind of stuff mm-hmm. with the governments. You know, they're not interested in doing it, et cetera. But, you know, I, I and the small team that was involved we did this because we knew we had had to as a country. We had that ethical and moral obligation. So we stood to, and uh, you know, the rest is history. What what we did was a miracle. Nobody was killed. But um, the sad thing is, is the lie. I was lied to from the federal government that what we're doing is the right thing, and to keep going. And we knew we were running out of time. And I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday. Direct conversations on the telephone, over 50 emails. Are we doing the right thing? Do you want me to keep going? Yes, Chris. The cavalry is coming. Yes, keep doing what you But the you cavalry are doing. didn't arrive. Pardon? The cavalry didn't arrive. Oh, no, it was a straight-up lie. So when I was told that, I put my foot on the throttle. And if anybody knows me, when I do that, look yeah. out. And we were booking 100 people a day. And, you know, we were getting them out of danger, keeping the men, women, and children alive. So, you see, there's two different parts to this. You know, my personal op- operation was, and the small team and, and what I personally did And I even said to everybody, keep good notes, because we're probably going to have a hearing in the House of Commons. There will be a parliamentary subcommittee or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, make sure you keep good notes, everybody. And guess what? We had that. But the hearing was a joke. It was a farce. It was embarrassing. One of our retired generals, he was cut off in mid-sentence. He was treated with such disrespect. I knew immediately that this was just a gong show. All right, Chris, and, I want to ask uh, you, because we're almost out of time, and sure. I, I want to very quickly, and before we go to break, what does it do to all of us here? You know, I've been saying, are we a little part of it? We, you know, the government and the things that were said, and we believe them. But what about us as Canadians well, around the world? What have we lost here, we, and who, who are we here? There's one thing left that we can do, and I've talked about this beforehand, Mm -hmm. and I think that now is the time that we really get going on the bill, which I'm calling the No One Left Behind bill, and this will become a piece of enacted legislation that we as a country will have to follow by law, an act of parliament, 
the next time we step foot on foreign soil anywhere and we engage the people, then we legally have to follow this rule. And we will no longer be able to use people and discard them like the trash, like we did with the Afghanistan people. That is one thing that we have to do as a country. Chris Eklund, thank you. Tough conversation. Yeah, and it's I, a tough I conversation, you, but yeah. we have to have it as a people. We have to have forward. it, and it's it's heartbreaking. I don't I I don't know what words to reach for, but Chris Eklund, founder of Canadian Heroes and Fight for Ukraine. Chris, thank you, thank you for all you do. Cheers. Thanks for having me. I'm Arlene Bunn, and this is On Point.